Amen. Let's pray. Father, that is a true word. That Jesus Christ is exalted over all. There never has been, there is not now, there never will be another name under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the end, the one who created and now sustains the universe by the word of his power. You are awesome. You are our king, and we are your servants. And we gladly bow our hearts and our knees right now in your presence. Father, I pray right now as we hear from you, we would willingly and urgently humble ourselves under the authority of your word. That we would not sit our hearts in pride against it, but our posture would be one of humility that says, Lord, help me. Lord, change me. Lord, I need you. Help me to love you more right now. Help me to want to want you more right now. Help me to hunger more for you right now. Lord, I need you. And change us, oh God, change us to be more like you. Lord, guard my mouth from error and say what you want to say to your church. More of you, less of me. Oh, maybe it be so. Church, if you agree, in the name of Jesus Christ, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Harvest Mississauga, it is a wonderful privilege and blessing to be here with you this morning to share the word of the Lord with you. I just want to give you a little quick update about some of the things that the Lord is doing in our nation's capital. Um, And as Pastor Chris said just a few moments ago, the Lord is building his church. Amen? The Lord is building his church, and it has been pretty overwhelming Uh, to see the new opportunities for gospel advancement that he is entrusting to us. Uh, This people coming to salvation in Jesus Christ, people receiving counseling and getting baptized and seeing small groups launched all across the city, to name a few. God is on the move. And and I I, want to encourage you, Um, your prayers and support for us, it's not a one-way street. All right, you have an entire church praying for you, and it just loves to see and hear firsthand what God is doing, and I want to thank you for all of your prayers and support, and for those of you who over this summer have come and visited, I don't think I can remember one weekend this past summer where there was not at least one family from this church at our church. Praise the Lord for that. And I just want to express such deep gratitude for your elders, Pastor Ted and Pastor Chris. They are very dear friends of mine. And I just want to thank you for that opportunity to come and share God's word and to have your pastor preach at our church. I know our people are going to be blessed. We love you so much. And as excited as I am to tell you a bit about what God's doing in his church in Ottawa, i got to tell you, I'm pretty fired up and excited to share God's word with you this morning. From 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 to 23. 
If you do not have a Bible in front of you, I would highly recommend you put your hand up right now to make sure our ushers can put one in your lap. You're going to want to follow along this morning with the Word of God. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 to 23. And if you do not have a Bible at home, we want to give you that as a free gift and just encourage you to continue to study the life-giving Word of God at home. And as you turn to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8, I want to give you the title of this morning's message, and you see it on the screen. It's this, The Call of Faith, Do Not Be Afraid. The Call of Faith, Do Not Be Afraid. Look at the question mark, or I'm sorry, the exclamation mark at the end of that statement. There's a reason why faith is calling out, loved ones, this morning. Faith is calling, and it is saying, Do Not Be Afraid. And you say, why must we ask the question of why this is so important? Why is this truth so important? Well, the first thing is this. Our faith and, you, and walking by faith as God's people is a very big deal to God. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it's impossible to please him. Like not even a little bit. It's impossible to please him, but he rewards those who seek him. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. We're going to unpack that one a little more today. And soberingly, Romans 14, 23 tells us that anything that is not done from faith is sin. Ouch. Ouch. And the second reason why this, is, this truth is so important to have ingrained on our hearts is because there is perhaps nothing that hinders our faith more than fear. There is perhaps nothing that hinders your faith and mine more than fear. I'm not talking about a fear of the Lord here. The fear of the Lord is the furnace of our faith. A, a deepening honor and reverence and love for and respect for God. That's the fuel of our faith right there. What we're talking about here is the fear from pride, which is the fear of man, a fear of failure, a fear of the loss of control over a situation, a fear of the unknown manifested by pride as fear that quenches faith. So let's get some clarity first on what the biblical definition of faith is because we have to understand where we're coming from. Otherwise, none of this makes sense. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. There's the biblical definition of faith. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, let's break that down into a very street-level, applicational definition, and it is this. Here's faith. Choosing to believe God's word. Choosing to believe God's word and obey it in his power for his glory and my good. Choosing to believe God's word, faith is a choice, loved ones. Yes, given in measure by the Holy Spirit, we still have to choose faith. 
choosing to believe God's word, obeying it in his power. We cannot do it on our own for his glory and our good. And the problem is this, and you look across the landscape today, most Christians are living their lives in fear, not faith. The enemy is doing a great job of deceiving them into believing that God is not faithful, he will not fulfill his promises, and he can't be trusted to do what he says. All throughout his word. You can't believe it. You can't trust it. And the daily question, moment by moment question that you and I are faced with is, am I choosing right now to live in fear or will I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live by faith in what is facing me right now? What's my choice? And you see here in this text, Elisha and his servant are faced with the same question. As they are surrounded by a massive Syrian army and by all visible means, every odd is stacked against them and there's no way out. And here we see two critical faith practices we must engage in every day if we are to be reminded of God's faithfulness and fearlessly walk by faith in the situations we face. Ready to go? You ready to go, Harvest Saga? Come on. 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's start at verse 8. Let's read the word of the Lord. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha. The prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he's in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. First thing we must understand this morning is this. Because God is faithful, I can fearlessly walk by faith when I rely on his word in my situation. Because God is faithful, I can fearlessly walk by faith when I rely on his word in my situation. Key truth for the section is this. God's word is never wrong. I must trust it. God's word is never wrong. I must trust it. Let's get some context for these first verses we looked at. The context, we're at 850 BC now. Syria is at war with the north, which is the main enemy of Israel at this time. Now, you'll see on a map here, where are we talking? Now, remember, after the time of Solomon, the United Kingdom of Israel was divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. So the southern kingdom's name's Judah. It's in the gray down there. The northern kingdom's Israel. It's in the green. Now, you see where Syria is. And so the Syrians are raiding Israel consistently. They're sending in these raiding parties, in and out, in and out, in and out, ransacking and plundering different cities. 
And the Syrian king at the time, Ben-Hadad, takes counsel with his officers here. And he's discussing where he is planning on setting up his camps in Israel. Where he would mobilize his forces from and attack other cities. So he's saying, okay guys, where are we going to set up our base camps to then launch out more attacks from across Israel? But he runs into a problem. And that is Elisha. Elisha is receiving supernatural revelation from God about not only where Benadad's base camps would be. Notice in verse 9 where he says, Don't, do not pass this place. Beware that you do not pass this place. He's receiving not only where the base camps are going to be, but he's also receiving information about what cities or towns the Syrians are planning on attacking next. And so the result is, as Jehoram turned to believed in, relied on, and acted upon God's word, God, look at what God protected his people and thwarted the enemy by avoiding Ben-Hadad's camps and fortifying the cities he was going to go attack. Consistently, God's word was never wrong. It's not like Jehoram got to fortify a city and then they went to all this work and then Ben-Hadad changed his mind and went to another one. That didn't happen once. Time and time again, as Jehoram leaned into and relied on God's word alone, God delivered him. God saved him. And eventually, as we see in verses 11 and 12, Ben-Hadad gets frustrated and believes that one of his own trusted soldiers is a traitor. He's like, hey, hey, who here is in these secret meetings and is on the side of the king of Israel? Who's feeding him our plans? Who's feeding him the battle strategy? And the soldiers at that time tell him, none of us. It's Elisha who's telling the very words Ben-Hadad speaks in his bedroom. Oh, where can I go from your presence, oh God? God is not just the God of the battlefield. He's the God in the bedroom too. What a beautiful, powerful picture of God's sovereignty. Who knows, Isaiah 46, 10 says, the end from the beginning. He knows the outcomes. He knows what's coming. And as he says in Proverbs 21, 1, the heart of a king is like a stream of water in the hands of the Lord and he turns it any way he wishes. Awesome. 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 So we must understand this. What we see here in these first five verses. Jehoram could do absolutely nothing else to save himself or his people. Jehoram could have no idea where Ben-Hadad's camps were going to be. He could have no idea where the next city was that he was going to attack. He could do nothing to save himself. If he was going to see God deliver them, he had to rely in faith only on the word of the sovereign God who saw the whole picture and knew what the outcomes would be. He had to rely on it time and time again. Here's the truth, loved ones. God's word is never wrong. You must trust it. I must trust it. Whatever has happened, whatever is happening, and whatever is going to happen tomorrow that you and I don't know about, God's word is never wrong. 
You say, well, how do we know? How do we know this? Because there's a lot of things this culture is telling us. Put your faith in this. Put your faith in people. Put your faith in finances. Put your faith in success. Put your faith in yourself. Put your faith in, put your faith. How do we know that God's word is the only truth that will never fail? Well, good authority here, he tells us. The sovereign king tells us. Look at Psalm 1830 on the screen. He says, this God, the only God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true, and he is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Perfect wisdom. Perfect truth. Perfect sufficiency for every circumstance. Perfect refuge. His way is perfect. Always will be. Charles Spurgeon, he expands on this. He says, this weapon, talking of God's word, this weapon is good at all points. Good for defense. Good for attack. To guard our whole person or to strike through the joints and marrow of the foe. You cannot be, hey, be encouraged with this. You cannot be in a condition that the word of God has not provided. The word has many faces and eyes as providence itself. You will find it unfailing in all periods of your life. In all circumstances, in all companies, in all trials, and under all difficulties. Were it fallible, it would be useless in emergencies. But its unerring truth renders it precious beyond all price to the soldiers of the cross. Yes, God knows all, sees all, and has power Overall, his way, his word is perfect. So, question how about you? How about me? What are, what are you relying on? What are you turning to in that situation or trial you are facing right now? Maybe the one you faced this past week. How about in your marriage? The tension that's there, the conflict that may be there. Who are you relying on? Who are you turning to in the, in the decision, the major decision you have to make? Or, or your job situation. Maybe you're facing unemployment. Maybe you're facing you know, students at school with your schooling. That situation in the classroom. How about this? Who are you turning and relying on with your health situation? In the financial crisis. Maybe with your family. As parents. Who are we turning to? Are we, are we relying on our own strategies? Own strategies. Well, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it my way. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to get it. I'm going I'm to shape up and make my own way. Are we relying on other people? Well, if that person just comes through, or if my kids just do what I want, then I'll be good. How about this? Are we relying on finances? If I just get some more money, then we'll be in a better position and we'll do that. How about self-help books? If I just think power thoughts, then I'm going to be okay. You know, if I, just, if I just have a positive mindset and I can just think my way to have something in front of me, loved ones, we're not talking about a prosperity gospel here. Power thoughts aren't going to do it. If I just seek social media... 
Here, we must realize this. There's only one thing that proves true all time, every time, in every situation. And that is the living and active word of God itself. Amen? Because God is faithful, I can fearlessly walk by faith when I rely on his word alone in my situation. And as I rely on his word to guide me, I realize that I must trust in his deliverance through my situation. As I rely on his word alone, I realize I must trust in his deliverance through my situation. Key truth for, for this section is this. God will deliver me. I must trust him. God will deliver me. I must trust him. Look at verses 13 and 14. And he said... This is Ben-Hadad. He says, go and see where he is, that is Elisha, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he's in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. See, after hearing that Elisha was telling King Jehoram about Syria's plans, Ben-Hadad is told that Elisha's living in Dothan. Okay, so where's Dothan? You'll see another map up here. Okay, see that Israel there, the green section, the northern kingdom of Israel? Just look at the dot above the eye. That's Dothan. That's where Dothan is. It's about 10 miles away from the capital city of Samaria. If you want to look at what it looks like in real time today, there it is. That's the city of Dothan today in northern Israel. So you see it's elevated on a hill, but it's easy to be surrounded. This is our context for this. And after hearing that Elisha's living here, Ben-Hadad sends out a great army by night to capture him in a surprise attack. Now, now, notice where it says great army. When the Bible emphasizes something strongly, we need to take note of what it's trying to emphasize. The, word, the Hebrew there for great army means abundant or massive army. It's not like Ben-Hadad's picking some junior varsity soldiers and says, hey, go on out, you ragtag bunch, go on out and try to get Elisha. No, he's taking his most merciless killers, his most profound warriors and best soldiers in his army. He's like, get him, because if you get him, we've got them. So he's not fooling around. Now, and the picture of great army there that the Hebrew gives uses that word? It's of an insect swarm. Look at this. Look at this. There it is. A great army being sent out to get one man. The insect swarm. Now, now just live in this text for a moment. Put yourself in the text, okay? Let's get some real-time footage of what Elisha was about to wake up to. That. That's just a snapshot. The army surrounded the city. And they're all coming for you. Okay, live in the text. And as you look at that, ask yourself the question right now. What or who would you turn to and trust in for your deliverance in the moment? What would you turn to? Who would you turn to? Knowing that God has allowed this army to come after you? What would you turn to? And you say, well, wait a second, why do I need to ask that question? Wouldn't you think there'd be some more burning questions in your mind? Because here's the truth. What you turn to first is what you are trusting for deliverance in the most. What you turn to, you, you think, hey, hey, we got to get the soldiers. Hey, hey, 
Servant, servant, get the arms. Where's the soldiers in Dothan? We got, where's an escape route? We got to do this. What are you turning to first? Because that is what you're trusting in for deliverance the most. Right there. What would you turn to? So bring it into today. Let's get some real time on this application. What did you trust in for deliverance in what you faced this past week? When that trial hit, what did you turn to first? What did you trust in? When the fear, when the anxiety, when the worry, when the stress started to creep in, where did you turn to at that moment? What were you trusting in in that moment to deliver you? When the suffering was happening and you were feeling surrounded by discouragement, bombarded with fear, where were you turning to? Did you trust in your, yourself? Students, well, if I, just get, if I just get a better performance, if I just get my grades up and I'm going to do this, I'm going to work harder and do that. Did you trust? How about in food? Did you run to the fridge? Did you run to the takeout counter? And just trying to numb the aching anxiety that's there and trying to satisfy it and numb it by filling yourself with that which cannot satisfy. What about alcohol? Did you turn to that? Just forget about my problems for a while. What about people? Did you turn to other people? Well, I'm going to depend on you and I'm going to bank everything on you coming through and you're not going to let me down. And... Is that where we turn to? How about this? Anger. If I just get angry enough, people are going to do what I want. If I just raise my voice enough with my kids, they're going to listen. Where'd you turn to? About this? Finances. Well, I just have to get more money. I have to get more money. I have to work harder. I have to burn the candle again. I have to get more. How about this? Did you trust in the Lord to deliver you? Did you trust? I love, I love one of the most well-known passages of Scripture. It's the one we forget so often, most easy. Proverbs chapter 3. Verses 5 to 6 and 7 says this. Trust in the Lord. Hey, love the fact that you're taking notes, Harvest. Can you just look up here for a moment? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Right now. In your situation. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart. It's not like, well, I'll trust you, God, for this, but then I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to trust Jesus this far, but then i got to take it the rest of the way. He says, with all of your heart. Heart, the center of your being, your whole identity. He says, don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make straight your path. And I love verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Be not wise in your own eyes. And you may say, well, I know if I'm trusting in God for deliverance. God calls me to this. I want to walk by faith. I want to be fearless in my walk of faith. How do I know if I'm trusting God for deliverance? Well, here we see three indicators in the last half of this text that we're trusting in the Lord's deliverance of us and not something else. Here's three indicators of when I'm trusting in God to deliver me. Number one is this. I will have peace under his protection and I will not panic. I will have peace under his protection and I will not panic. Look at verses 16, 15, and 16. When the servant of the man of God rose early, this is Elisha's servant, 
in the morning and went out. Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, notice his response here. Alas, my master. Notice the exclamation point. He's worried. He's freaked out. He's like, alas, alas, my master. What shall we do? Elisha says, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are with them. See, after waking up and seeing the massive Syrian army that was completely surrounding the city, Elisha's servant is filled with fear. He's filled with panic. He's filled with anxiety at what's in front of him. He saw that army, that horde of soldiers coming after him. He's like, what am I going to do? I got nothing. Imagine this, and here's Elisha's response. Elisha calmly declares what the call of faith all and he says, be afraid. Imagine the scene. Elisha's servant wakes up. Ah! <laughs> He's freaking out. And then Elisha gets like, Elisha, wake up. Elisha gets up. What are we going to do? He says, oh, yeah, don't be afraid. Don't forget, these were real people. This isn't fiction. This is historical narrative. This actually happened, loved ones. You're like, don't be afraid. Why? Because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The Hebrew word there for more means of greater abundance, more numerous. There's more people right now fighting for us than what you see in front of you. Now, if I'm the servant, I'm like, Elisha, that's great news. Just one question. Where is everybody? Like now would be a good time for them to show up. Please get them here. Love this. How could Elisha say this? Because Elisha knew by faith what his servant did not. He knew that they were protected by God and God was ready to fight for them. And we must understand this truth. You'll see it on the screen. Faith will always see what our flesh never will. Faith will always see what our flesh never will. Your flesh will always want to convince you that you see the whole picture. And that is never true. Never. You and I do not see the whole picture. The sovereign king of the universe who knows the end from the beginning sees the whole picture. And the eyes of faith will not get caught in the trap of thinking they see it all. And they've got the line on it. This is why faith is the conviction of things unseen. This is why we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Look what happens in verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and he said, Oh Lord, please open the eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See this? Once the servant's eyes are opened, he sees an angelic... Hey, loved one, this actually happened. Does that not stun you? He sees an angelic, heavenly army that could not be defeated, ready to do battle with the Syrians on behalf of God's servant. Now, the fire that you see, your chariots of fire, that's so significant because all throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, fire represents God's presence with his people. Always. And even though, even though his enemies were surrounding him, guess what? God was surrounding his enemies. Hey, loved ones, 
Even though your enemies are surrounding you right now, it may feel like they're closing in. God is surrounding your enemies. And what he says goes. He always has the final say. Is that encouraging this morning? Amen. They were safe in the protection and presence of God, and they could be at peace right in the midst of that opposition facing them. That looked impossible. They could be at peace under God's protection and presence. See, see, God's army was there the whole time, but the servant couldn't see it. All he could see was the opposition in front of him. Instead of believing in faith that the Lord was with him and would protect him. And loved ones, our God still does this today. You say, well, how do you know? That's a big statement. Praise the Lord. I'm not the one who made it. He did. Psalm 34, 7. You'll see it on the screen. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Those who fear him, those who love God, those who want to honor God, those who have reverence for God and have given their life in service to God through his son, Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. And, and hey, loved ones, be encouraged. Be encouraged with this. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but there is no one or there is nothing that can touch God's people unless he allows it. It's not like he didn't see something coming. There is nothing and there is no one that can touch God's people unless he allows it. And if he does decide to allow it, it will always be for our good and for his glory. And he will deliver us in his time, in his way, either in this life or ultimately in the life to come. Deliverance is on the way. We must trust him. Question, are you walking in peace under God's protection or are you walking in panic right now in what you're facing? Loved ones, you may feel surrounded by your situation right now, impossible situation, but God is surrounding your situation. He's ready to fight for you and uphold his promises to you. But the question is, will you cling to his word and ask him for the faith to believe and act upon it? To believe that it's true. God, I see this, but your word is telling me this. Give me eyes of faith to believe the conviction that this is true. The assurance that you will not drop the ball. You never have once. You never will. Love this. Or will you keep striving in your own strength? That's the other option. In the stress, in the panic, in the fear, in the exhaustion and you reject the peace that comes from humbling yourself under him in faith and abiding in his presence. Love Isaiah 26, 3. It says this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you. Of course he does. That's the eyes of faith. Peace right in the middle of the situation. As we keep our eyes on him. When I am trusting God to deliver me. I will have peace under his protection and not panic. Secondly I will pray for his provision. And not pursue my own. Look at verses 18 and 19. And when the Syrians came down against him. Elisha prayed to the Lord and said. Please strike this people with blindness. 
So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. See, when the Assyrians begin to attack Dothan, Elisha prayed for the Lord to strike the entire army with blindness. Now, now, just so we're clear, the Hebrew word there for blindness, it's not like blindness what you and I think of today. What he's talking about there is visual confusion from a dazzling light. So you got all these soldiers kind of like, like this right now, looking into the spotlight. Uh, You just can't see anything. Now your eyes got to adjust. Like, it's just constant in front of them, and they're just like, uh, right? What a scene that is. What a, that's amazing, right? And then Elisha tells them to follow him, and he leads them out of the city to, from Dothan to Samaria, which was 10 miles away. He takes an entire army, dazed and confused, on a 10-mile hike to Samaria. That's, that's amazing, Right? He's just leading them. Hey, come on, I'll show you where to go. Listen, now why does Elisha, notice what he did there. The Syrian horde is coming. And instead of going to a servant and saying, okay, we got to round up the troops. we got to do all this. we got to get the provisions inside and do all this. What does he do? He turns to pray. He turns to pray. Why does he pray? Because Elisha knew there is nothing he could have done on his own. And nothing or no one else that he could have turned to. His deliverance ultimately depended on God. And his posture of prayer would reflect that. Is that not what prayer is, loved ones? Prayer is a declaration of our dependence on God. Prayerlessness, on the other hand, is saying, we got this, God. We're good. It's up to me. He turns to prayer. Who are you turning to? Who are you turning to, loved ones? So he prays in accordance with the will of God. He's not, he's not some prosperity gospel of just give me what I want, God. And you can, no, no, no. He prays in accordance, it says, with the will of God and receives God's provision on his behalf. Question, are you praying for God's will for his purposes and provision in your situation or are you pursuing your own way? What provision, whose provision are you seeking? You say, well, well, I'm the source of my provision, and I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it how I want to do it. My way, and I want it in my time, and I'm going to push my way ahead, and I'm going to do it ultimately for my glory. That's one choice you have. That's not going to go well. Spoiler alert. Right? Maybe we're doing that instead of praying, God, give me faith to ask you for your way, your time, and what you want for your glory. You will deliver me. And you say, why is prayer so important that Elisha, out of all the things he could have done, he turns to pray? Why is it so important? Because here it is, comes to faith. E.M. Bounds said this, when our faith ceases to pray, our faith ceases to live. When our faith ceases to pray, our faith ceases to live. Hey, Harvest Mississauga, you have a church-wide prayer night coming up next Sunday. And I don't know very much, but I do know this based on the authority of God's inerrant word. That a house of prayer is a house of faith. And a house of faith is a house of prayer. And I encourage you with everything I can, loved ones, pack this place out next Sunday night. 
call on the Lord and to take nothing away of what he's done here in this amazing provision that he has given, that we celebrate his good work. Do not depend on this place for the source of your deliverance. That will not go well. We haven't arrived. Press into him. He's ready. There's more to come. When I am trusting in God to deliver me, I will have peace under his protection and not panic. I will pray for his provision and not pursue my own. I will be compassionate through his mercy and not cruel. Point three, let's look at verses 20 to 23. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you've taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them. That's amazing. Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. See, after arriving in Samaria, after the 10-mile hike, Elisha asked the Lord to open the eyes of the Syrian soldiers. And they see that they're in Samaria. Now, the key about Samaria, the capital city, all of Israel's soldiers were there. Ready to do battle. So look at what Jehoram says. Can you hear the anticipation in his voice? Here's his major enemy. All of the best soldiers right in front of him. What would you do? He's like, hey, Elisha, can I strike him down now? Can I just nail him? Can I nail him? Can I nail him? Can I nail him? Look, listen. He repeats it twice for emphasis. Can I strike them down now? Can I get them? They're weak. Can we take them now? Our enemies could be defeated. But instead of instructing Jehoram to kill his enemies, notice what Elisha says. He says for him to show kindness. Don't kill them. Be kind. Show mercy to them. What is mercy? Not giving them what they deserve. They deserve to die. And he said, show mercy to them by setting out a feast that they could eat and drink and then head back to Syria. And the result? You see it. Jehoram listens, shows mercy, lets them go, and they did not come again. Hey, loved ones, there's so much freedom in the truth I'm about to say to you, and it is this, based on God's word. The burden of our deliverance was one we were never meant to carry. That is amazingly freeing. The burden for our own deliverance in a situation was one we were never meant to carry because there is only one who can. His name is Jesus Christ. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will not let the righteous be moved. That's so freeing. And you'll see on the screen this truth that the person who has an increasing faith in the Lord will display increasing mercy from the Lord because the onus for deliverance is not on themselves. And that allows you, right in the middle of the situation with your kids, 
right in the middle of a situation with that person who's slandering you, right in the situation with your health or your fear or that joblessness, you can extend mercy to others because ultimately your deliverance doesn't depend on you. And do you ever, do you ever notice, loved ones, how harsh we get when we start to get stressed and anxious and how we lash out and strike others down with our words or with our silence or with our actions. You ever notice that? And we say, well, I'm just going through a really hard time right now. Well, okay, hard times are going to come, but who are you relying on for deliverance right there that's causing you to think you need to respond like that? Because when your reliance is on the Lord, you can give mercy knowing he's going to deliver you and show love in the face of opposition. Is that, as we sit here right now, who is that right now that the Lord has just brought to your mind that you need to repent to and ask forgiveness for how you've struck them down this past week? Your spouse, your children, neighbors, coworkers, through attitudes or actions. Don't wait. There's so much forgiveness through Jesus Christ and healing that comes. And just as the great feast here in verse 23 represented God showing mercy to his enemies and establishing a new covenant of reconciliation. That's the picture of the feast. It was a reconciling covenant between two enemies now, reconciled, unified. That's why the Syrians didn't come again. It was a symbol of reconciliation. And just as that represented God showing mercy to his enemies, so now God has shown his mercy to us. That when we were enemies of him, he established a new covenant of reconciliation with us, sending his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us in the greatest act of mercy and love of all time that none of us deserved. It is through Jesus Christ alone we are given the faith to rely on his word and to trust in him for deliverance even when what we see seems impossible.